Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. Lord, it's good to it's good to be with your church and rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And Lord, we're just trusting that you're going to give us by your spirit the capacity to do both <laughs> at the same time in the same room. Um, so Lord, do that, and do that as we, as we read your word, and as we see what you've said. Lord, help us to be able to see your care for us, your presence with us. Help us to be amazed that we have a, a God, the God of the universe, the God who controls all things, the God who dwells in highest heaven, who has condescended first, in the person of your son, Jesus Christ, lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve to die, rose again to conquer death, Lord, and, and now has gone to make a place for us, and until then is made a place in us by the Holy Spirit, always with us. So, Lord, be with us now as your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was just thinking during the service uh, how... Um, happy I am to not just be a, a preacher, but a pastor. <laughs> uh, to be with all of you in the weeping and the rejoicing is just such a privilege to prepare sermons, not in a mechanical way so that you just get knowledge, but thinking of you and loving you and knowing you think in love of me is, is a sweet thing. So I'm eager for the Lord to meet us <laughs> in this sorrowful and rejoicing uh, moment together. And so as I was looking at this text, there's just a theme that jumps out in it very obviously, and it's a theme that runs through Genesis and through the whole Bible. And as you sit here today, I'd ask it to you this way, I wonder what it is today in this moment that you think you need most. What just came to your mind, what you need most, or what you want most What's the thing that you think will solve that problem or will fix that concern or the thing that will meet that deepest ache in your soul today, whatever that ache is? What's the thing that you need to get you through the current struggle or the current circumstance that you find yourself in? What's the thing that you need to be most fulfilled or satisfied. We even say happy in this life more than anything else. If we think of Genesis and what we've learned from this one story in many stories, what is most needed over and over again in this story to see people change, to see redemption happen, and to see God's purposes come to pass? As I was Thinking about this, the elders, some of the elders and wives gathered for a retreat this Friday and Saturday, and we gathered twice and we prayed for each other and the people at our church, and I noticed this same theme <laughs> in all of the prayers that were prayed. They were certainly uh, prayed with tears for healing and for hope and for physical healing and, and new mercies and hard things. But the deepest ache of our hearts for each other as elders and wives and the deepest ache for this church was so clearly the presence of God. 
now, in this moment, and for all of eternity. That's what we're longing for as we were praying together. Because we know, like at the, at the bottom of all of it, <laughs> the bottom of all of it, when everything else is gone, what do you need? You need him. You need him with you. You need him for you every moment of every day. What can carry us through suffering? Three words, right? God with us. What can help us fight temptation? God with us. What can change our broken hearts that love things we shouldn't love and hate things we shouldn't hate and just do all sorts of crazy, messed up stuff day after day? God with us. What can guarantee in your life, if you're in Jesus, that everything works for your good? The easy and the hard, the good and even the evil. God with us. So it makes all the difference, right? At the end, it's, that's what we have, and it's enough. So today in this story, we get to see God continue his unstoppable purposes to bring his people to his plate despite desperate and horrible circumstances. And we get to see in the life of Joseph the secret sauce of a life lived with hope, peace, contentment, and purpose in desperate circumstances. So we want to go, like, what's the secret sauce? What makes it happen? The answer is God with us. And we get to see that today. So let's dive in. Point number one, you're not reading it wrong. I made up a word. Withness in forced vocation. Withness in forced vocation. So a couple weeks ago, we left Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers And that's where we find him at the beginning of this chapter. So listen to verse 1. Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, that would have been a big deal in Egypt, the captain of the guard, really big deal, an Egyptian, that means he's from that homeland, he's he's a thoroughbred in a sense, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So Joseph now is a long way from home. (laughs) Joseph is in the heart of Egypt, in the captain of the guard's house, and he is alone, he's betrayed, and now he's been enslaved. So after catching us up to really the horrible circumstances where where Joseph has landed, it doesn't feel like he could be further from his family or further from God. This is what the author wants us to know in verses 2 and 3. So look at it with me. The Lord, that's his personal name, Yahweh, to make sure you know it's not just any God, not some God of Egypt, but Yahweh, the personal God of Israel. The Lord was what? Was what? Read it. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw what? That the Lord was with him. And that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So here we have him forced into a vocation, probably doing things he never expected to be doing in a a place he never expected to be. Does anybody in here have a job with parts of it that are tough to do? Parts that you don't want to do. Anybody? Is it just me? Is it just me that has a job 
with parts of it that I sometimes don't want to do. Anyone have parts of your life that are painful, that are rough, things you wish you just didn't have to walk through? Like you wake up and you say, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do this right now. I didn't ask for this right now. Maybe you're at where you're at in life because of circumstances completely out of your control. No choice in the matter. Maybe you're there because people have been unjust or hurtful and put you in those places. What does the author want us to know about situations like that? Had God forgotten Joseph? Had God lost control? No, Joseph still had what he needed most. God was with him. God was with him. He hadn't left him, he hadn't lost control, and he hasn't in your life either. And so as we we zoom in here, the first thing the author wants you to see is, yes, he's far away from home, yes, he's enslaved, yes, he's been betrayed, but God hasn't left him. God is still in this story, and God is working for his good. Potiphar was a powerful man who likely had bought lots of servants. In other words, Joseph's not unique. Potiphar's probably buying servants all the time for various needs. And he was probably used to begrudging, purposeless workers who worked because they had to, who worked because they were enslaved. And you can't blame them for being purposeless when they've been taken in and enslaved and made to do something they didn't want to do. But we get the picture throughout this whole story that wherever Joseph was, he was all in working hard at all he did. Like, you almost want to look in the story and go, where's the anger? Where's the bitterness? Like, where's the frustration? And you just don't see it, at least in the way that the story is recorded. And he did that. Why? What made all the difference? The Lord was with him. That's why the author keeps repeating it. And as the Lord was with him and he worked hard, the Lord blessed the work of his hands. And what did his master see? The text doesn't say that the master looked at Joseph and said, Joseph is really awesome. It says that the the master saw, it, it was so extravagant, his work ethic so different, the way he went about things, his countenance so unique, the blessing on his life so crazy in the circumstances that all the master could say is, the Lord blesses whatever this guy does. And so he gave more to Joseph, and as Joseph was blessed, who also got blessed? His master, right? This is a fulfillment. I want you to see how the Bible's coming together. This is a fulfillment of Genesis 12, that God would bless those who bless him. Those who bless this promised line, God will bless him. So here Potiphar is the recipient of his blessing of Joseph. And so in verses four to six, with all this blessing coming, with no more work for the master to do, the master says, you're in charge of everything. All I really have to do is worry about what I'm going to eat. Everything else, right, is under Joseph's hand. And the master just has to figure out, <laughs> I guess, three meals a day. What do, what do I want to eat next? In God's withness with Joseph, Joseph becomes a witness to God's power and God's goodness. God is always working for the glory of his name and the good of his people. What others meant for evil, what does God mean it for? 
are good. God is working here. He's working here at multiple levels in ways that we can't work, right? He's working the short game to witness to his power and presence to Potiphar and those in the household. He's working his long game of saving his people to preserve them from a famine. And he's working his even longer game so that as they're preserved, an offspring can come from them who will ultimately save people from their sins and make all of his promises say yes in Jesus Christ. God is doing all of that in this scene. So wherever you're at in your life, God's doing a lot more than that little thing that you're aware of that he's doing. God's witness is meant for you to be a witness to his power and goodness as well. He's with you. He's with you in the daily labors at your job or at your home that are simply required and they just seem minuscule and begrudge doing them. He's with you there. He's with you in the things you want to do and you, you get to do. He's with you in the places in life you wish you never had to go through. He'll meet you with his presence. And what that means for the Christian is, one, he'll never leave you or forsake you. You're you're never going to be taken out of his hands. You're going to make it to the end. And it also means that being a Christian is the most exciting thing in the whole world. If God is always with you, working for now, and five years, and 10 years, and 20 years, and yes, even eternity, then we should never be bored. Right now when we're doing the most exciting project at work, not when we're changing a diaper, not when we're doing the dishes, not when we're mowing the lawn, not when we're witnessing to our neighbor because God's in it and with us doing things now that will last all the way until eternity. He's working in you by his witness. Kids, do you ever have to do things like maybe your parents, even on Mother's Day, right, make you do things that you don't want to do? Have you ever had someone be mean to you or had to go through something hard? Well, the promise of the Bible is that if you would trust in Jesus, even in the things you don't want to do, even in the times people are mean and it's hard, God's with you. And even as a little kid, if you trust in Jesus, he will use you for things that matter today and tomorrow and five years from now and all the way into eternity. You're a part of God's plan if you trust in Jesus to bring about his purposes. The Bible keeps showing us over and over again that he'll help us in what we do and in the way we do it to shine for the glory of his name. He'll complete his purpose to get you all the way to his place to enjoy his presence forever. He won't leave you on your own in all this. He'll be with you. So as, as we walk, right, this is great on Sunday morning, right? But you're going to leave and you're going to go to a, a lunch or a brunch or maybe you're going to go home by yourself and then tomorrow you're going to do something else. As you leave here into that next place or into that next situation that you have to walk into and do that next thing you have to do, you can do it with the anticipation that it's way bigger than just that thing way bigger than just that thing. It's one of the ways and places God's presence is working for your good and his glory in your life and in generations to come all the way into eternity. He is with us in the day-to-day things that we want to do and we don't want to do. Point number two, he's witness in facing temptation, verses seven to 18. So God's witness 
doesn't just work to help us to do what we want to do with the purpose, it also helps us to not do what we shouldn't do with the purpose. So it helps us do things with a purpose. It also helps us not do things we shouldn't do with a purpose. So kids, I'll ask you again, have you ever wanted to do something that you know you shouldn't do? Any kids in here? I like the kids. They interact with me more quickly than the adults do. They're raising their hands. They all want to do things they don't, that they shouldn't do. Right? And does God care? Do you, ever, do you ever think about this when you don't want to do that thing? Does God care? Does God see you? Is, is God with you, kids, in those moments where you want to do the things that you shouldn't do? If you trust in Jesus, here's a more important question. Will God help you? Will he change you? Will he help you to, to not do those things, instead do the good things that bring you true joy? Well, in verse 6, kids, we find out Joseph was in just a situation like that. So in verse 6, we find out that Joseph was apparently really good looking. So find out that he gets a double positive here about his looks. He's great in form and appearance. And if you're wondering, what's the one other place we hear that in the Old Testament? It's about his mom. So it's in the genes, right? So Rachel and Joseph, handsome, beautiful, in form and appearance. He's good looking. He's hardworking. He's successful. He's a rising star in the most, one of the most important households in all of Egypt. And Potiphar notices and makes him in charge of everything. And in one sense, we see this and we're like, oh, God's going to use this. He's going to keep rising. His star is rising. He's going to be a celebrity. It's going to be a big deal. Like lots of people would want to follow Joseph on Instagram at this point. But Potiphar's wife also notices these things about Joseph. And similar to the sin that we've seen over and over again in Genesis, she puts her eyes on something, looks good to her, and she just wants to take it for herself. Think Genesis 3. Think every other moment of sin that we've seen throughout the book of Genesis. And as the wife of Potiphar, she likely was used to getting what she wanted when she wanted it. She wasn't used to hearing no. So in verse 7, she says in a way that doesn't really seem like she's asking, but telling, lie with me. Here's how Joseph responds in verses 8 to 10. It says, He refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her to be with her. So, this is incredible, and it's incredible for a bunch of reasons. Joseph's speech is incredible. Right? Joseph could have begun to believe his own hype. Like, I'm great. Good looking. Of all these Instagram followers, right? Got all this, thing, all this stuff going on. But instead, 
of believing his own hype, thinking he's a big deal, thinking he can just do what he wants because he's got power and sway and popularity. He doesn't, right? Also, this was a common practice. This wasn't weird. Slaves in the house and all sorts of strange relations with their masters, this was not a strange thing. So he could have looked around and said, man, everyone does this. Everyone does this. It's not a big deal. He could have said, no one's ever going to know. He could have, maybe even more than all that, said, man, I've been through a lot. Man, I've been abused and enslaved and betrayed and just made to do what everyone else wanted. Just for once in my life, I'm going to do something for me. Right? Sometimes suffering can wear us down and make us believe that our little sin is okay because we've been so hurt. But notice, God's witness makes Joseph see things God's way. Notice that God in his purposes around Joseph's mind, right? How could I do that? How could I sin that way against God? It's like God is right there in the room with him. Why? Because God's right there in the room with him, even when we can't see him. God's witness makes him see things God's way, makes him have the the proper respect for his master and the charge he's been given. He knows this is his master's wife. That's the one thing that does not get handed over to his charge. You don't just hand a wife over to his charge, right? A wife belongs to her husband and a husband to his wife. God has joined them. And so he can't do this great wickedness and sin against God. This is Godward obedience. This isn't just, I'm just going to try not to do it because I know it's bad. This is, how could I do that when God's here with us and he sees this? Right? God is with him. He knows what God has said is true. And the bottom line is he wants fellowship with God more than he wants this momentary pleasure. And again, this wasn't one time. It was day after day after day after day. It wasn't a one and done fight against temptation. It was over and over again. And then it, it got more sneaky, right? Okay, fine, just, just lay next to me, right? Just, just give in a little bit. But over and over again, it says he, w- he would not even listen to her. He wouldn't inter- entertain it in verse 11. Man, temptation is everywhere, um, It's always going to be everywhere. Sexual temptation is everywhere. It's in your hand or it's in your pocket right now, right? (laughs) Wife or husband leaving, soul-destroying, momentary pleasures just a few clicks away, (laughs) right? More and more, culture is just saying that anything goes as long as it makes you feel good in the moment. And though you might say, I'm not like them, it's the air we're breathing, Instant gratification is the rule of the day. One-click shopping, one-click whatever you want. And it's not just out there. It's not just out there. We've seen headlines in the church over and over again. And it happens over and over again in dark rooms that never make the headlines, but they destroy souls and households. Maybe it's just the lie in the relationship that just says, well, how far is too far? Right? Like, how far is too far? Right? We can, right, rather than saying, 
Sonder Jesus. <laughs> just walk with Jesus here. And it's not just sexual temptation. It's not just sexual temptation. It's all of it. Right? It's the, the anger that is in your heart that then explodes in your household or at your job. It's the same thing going on in there, even if it's not sexual. Right? It's, it's the bitterness you let build in your heart. It's the gossip that comes out and just feels good for a second at work or at the church in the moment. Right? It's the pride or the self-pity that, that keeps you in change of self-focused anxiety. Right? It's the entitlement that makes us believe that if we don't get what we want when we want it, then we should sulk or be frustrated with everybody around us. What do we need? What do we need in the moment of temptation? Not just one-time temptation, but temptation like is here. The temptation that doesn't go away but comes back day after day after day asking us to give in. What do we need? It's the same three words, right? God with us. That's what we need. We need to enjoy and remember his presence enough to know that it's better than sin. It's better. He's better than sin. Fellowship with him is better than fellowship with sin. Right? Better is one day in his courts than thousands elsewhere. We need to remember his presence enough to know it's better than sin, to, to think the way he thinks, to have sin become ugly and unthinkable, not because it's wrong, we shouldn't do it, but because Jesus Christ is so beautiful to us that all those things just don't appeal anymore. And that's what Joseph gets in the moment. It's the grace he gets. He gets God with him in that moment to help him fight temptation and endure suffering. And so certainly at this point in the story, we would expect Joseph has done the right thing. And when people do the right things, good things happen to good people, right? It'll all go our way, right? I've resisted temptation. Well, the problem is that Potiphar's wife does not have God with her. Right? God is, is not with her. And so in verses 11 to 18, when she sees an opportunity with no one else in the house, she makes her most aggressive move. She grabs him and says again, lie with me. And you just have this sense she's not really asking. She wants what she wants. She's sick of waiting. She's just going to take it at this point. And Joseph flees from sin because God's presence is with him and leaves his garment in her hands. And this does something insidious in her soul. This feels like the ultimate slap in the face and in her entitlement and the sickness of her heart. She's sick of him denying her and she decides she's done trying but instead she's just going to ruin him. So she cries out falsely to accuse him of trying to force her to lay with him and uses his garment as evidence. And you can just see the twistedness of sin here, the twistedness of her heart as she keeps, it says, it says she keeps the garment by her all day, just waiting for Potiphar to walk in the door so she can lie right to his face and even blame him a little. Do you remember in Genesis 3 when Adam says, it's that woman you gave me. It's her fault. Well, what does she say when Potiphar walks in? She says, it's that Hebrew servant you brought in our house. So not only does she lie, but she, she blame shifts and puts it on Potiphar, if she can't have him, then she will ruin him. This is what sin in full form looks like without God. 
without God with us. It doesn't care about God's ways. It doesn't care about other people. It wants what it wants. It takes what it wants to take. And if it doesn't get what it wants and get to take what it wants to take, it rages and it ruins and it explodes. So if you're playing with sin, if you're thinking you can keep sin locked up in this little corner of your heart, if you're thinking sin isn't a big deal, it's just a, like a little pet lion that is just growing up in your house and it's cuddly, like it, it's going to grow, it's going to get bigger, and it's going to want to kill you because Satan hates you. <laughs> he wants to destroy you. What do we need most in our desperate places of temptation? What's the difference? In other words, what's the difference between Joseph and Potiphar's wife? Is it his spirituality? Is it his pedigree? Is it his background? The difference is God's with him. So we need, we need God with us. Point number three, witness and facing persecution, verses 19 to 23. So in verses 19 to 20, the master Potiphar walks in. He hears his wife's lie. He gets the guilt trip from her. So he's probably feeling guilty and enraged, and he's probably himself feeling like deeply betrayed, right? Like, I've given you everything in my house. You have charge of everything, and you had to to try to do this with my wife. And so he's got all these falsely informed rage things going on in his heart, and in his rage, he throws Joseph in prison. You get the idea it happened fast. He walked in, he heard, he got mad, Joseph's in prison. There's no trial, there's no search for a truth, there's no innocent till proven guilty here, there's just a lie, rage, in prison for Joseph. And at this point, if you didn't know Genesis very well, you might think surely God has lost control or forgotten about him. Surely Joseph will finally show some anger some frustration, some self-pity, like something, and maybe just give up on God. Like, just, just think about what Joseph has been through. Verses 21 to 23, what does the author want us to know most about when Joseph is in prison? But the Lord was what? You get the point? <laughs> this is what he wants us to know, right? The Lord was with Joseph. And showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Imagine how different Joseph must have been, how strong the presence of the Lord must have been on him, been felt by this, by this head of the prison to just like not even worry about the prisoner taking care of all the other prisons, right? This is literally the inmates running the prison. <laughs> That's what's going on here because of the presence of the Lord and he pays no attention to him and just says, whatever he does, he does it with integrity and it's blessed. Now you could read this I actually listened to a sermon this week that read this as like a a health, wealth, and prosperity thing. Like, wherever you go, the Lord will make you succeed if you just have enough faith. Like, that's just not here, right? This is not health, wealth, and prosperity unless you consider slavery and prison your vocation and destination of choice. (laughs) Right, that's not what this is. 
And we don't even get the sense that this is like all about Joseph. This is constantly God was with him. God didn't leave him. God kept drawing near to him. This is not health, wealth, and prosperity. This is the witness of a faithful, covenant-keeping God. This story is not you can get rich fast when you're sold into slavery in prison. This story is God doesn't lose control. God doesn't forget you. God is with his people. God will complete his purposes for good in their lives and his witness will make them a witness wherever they are. Wherever they are. In your neighborhood, in these really comfortable suburbs we live in, in the moments of hardship and pain and trouble, in prisons across the world where Christians are being held. Right when... When a good law is made in our land, when bad laws are made in our land, when any of that stuff happens, wherever you are, if God is with you, his purpose is that his witness makes you a witness to his goodness and his power. He doesn't lose control. This is a story of God's working in and through his people for his purpose. This is a story in the bigger story of all of history and all of the Bible, all the way here to Lakeville, Minnesota, that will lead to the saving of the people of God through the ultimate offspring, Jesus Christ, who was also unjustly accused, imprisoned, and eventually murdered so that we could go free from the prison of our sin and be set free from death and bondage forever. It's just the same story over and over again. It's the story you're in right now. Jesus, what is his name, Emmanuel? What does that mean? God with us. And if you trust in Jesus to forgive your sins, this is your story. So we're gonna come and we're gonna take communion together. And as we do that, we believe in what's happening is that we're eating and drinking with Jesus. He's with us even now and with each other. So we get to enjoy God's witness with us right now. So what do we need most? What do we say we need most at the beginning? God with us. What do we have if we've trusted in Jesus? God with us. What do we need most? God with us. What do we have? God with us. That's the point of this whole story and the point of the whole Bible. He's promised you today, Christian in Christ, right, to be a very present help in your time of need. Right, he's promised to never leave you or forsake you. Right, he's promised to send his Holy Spirit to make his home in us while he prepares an eternal home for us. He's promised to bring us into his presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. The story of the Bible is God's people and God's place enjoying God's presence now and forever. The story of Genesis 39 and your life and all of history and your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends and your family is God pursuing and bringing people in that he can be with them now and forever by the blood of Jesus Christ. The story of all of history is as simple and as deep as God with us. That's what it's all about. It's what we need most and it's what we have right now. And so my loving exhortation is 
would you lean into that? If you have it, would you lean into it? Would you like open your Bibles, <laughs> meet with the living God by the power of the Holy Spirit before you read the news? Right? Would you, would you open your Bible before you open your Facebook? Would you remember that you're loved by God Almighty through Jesus Christ before you check your likes and your last post? Like, you're loved by God. You don't need likes. Right? You get to follow Jesus. You don't need followers. Right? You don't need any of that. You have Jesus Christ. Like, lean in. What I want so much for you is to believe, like, I have God with me. You have him with you today. I want you in the moment of temptation to go, man, he's right here. I met with him this morning. I've been talking to him all day, and I want him more than I want that. I want him more than I want that. What, what I want for you in the moment of persecution and suffering and brokenness that is real and is hard is to go, but I know he's with me. I talked to him this morning and here he is right here and he's going to give me new mercies today until I go to sleep. When I wake up in the morning, those mercies are going to be new again. We have 24 access to God in prayer. Right? Like you can't even, if you've been a parent and your kid gets sick late at night, like you know how far you have to drive to get 24-7 access for a prescription? Right? And we have 24-7 access to God wherever we are. Whatever we're doing, whatever we've just done in our, in our best moments, in our worst moments, he would just say, come to me. Are you weary and heavy laden? He doesn't say, get strong first. He says, come to me and have rest for your soul. He didn't say, come timidly because you're a sinner and I want you to feel bad first. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus has made a way. <laughs> we have 24-7 access and we get the, the joy of leaning into rest. We get the joy of worshiping together in this moment. We get the joy of a, a church family that reminds us when we forget. We get the joy of encouraging one another. His presence is what you need in suffering. His presence is what you need in temptation. His presence is what you need in pain. His presence is what you need in persecution. His presence is what you need in brokenness. And his presence is what you have right now, if you've trusted in Jesus. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't lost control. He's with you, and he's for you right now. <laughs> Lean into his presence. Here he is. <laughs> Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Let's pray. So, Lord, we're going to come and eat and drink with you. Lord, we need your help. We, some of us need your help to believe that you're with us and for us. It's just been so hard and so painful and so long that we just feel distant and embittered and hard towards you. Lord, we need your help and we need your presence just to know that your presence is real. So come to your people now and remind us. Lord, some of us are fighting temptation or giving into temptation. Lord, we need your presence to see how much more beautiful and good you are than all that stuff. Lord, some of us feel like we've been hurt, unjustly put in places where we, we didn't want to be. Lord, we need your presence to know that your purposes have not failed, but you're working for our good and your glory. You're here with us. 
So I pray as we come and eat and drink with Jesus that the, the sense of this place in this moment as we lay down all our concerns and cares and fears and sins at the foot of your cross, the sense of this place would be God's here. This is his house. This is his family. This is his people. This is his temple. He's here. <laughs> he wants to work right now. I pray you'd come now in a powerful way. Make your presence known to us. In Jesus' name.